This is called Ben-Hadad, probably the second, because we know that his father preceded him. He's known as Ben-Hadad, number one, and this guy, he's number two, he's the son. Notice, the king of Syria, notice he gathered all of his forces together, 32 kings with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together and even brought 32 kings that were with him. This was a formidable military attack against Israel. Though they were outwardly strong politically and militarily during the reign of Ahab, they were not strong enough to discourage such an attack. Ahab's response to Ben-Hadad fit his general personality. He was a man concerned with the luxuries and comforts of living, and so he did not have the character to stand in the face of such a threat. Ahab surrendered unconditionally to Ben-Hadad. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 20 in the book of 1 Kings. Last week we were together, we looked at uh, chapter 19, and we saw Elijah after this great victory on Mount Carmel as he faced off with the 450 prophets of Baal and really overcoming all of his fears and um, and really just being a, a figure bigger than life as he would go against. And here's Ahab, and you got all of these prophets, and all the people of Israel are there. And the whole idea was, let's see who really is God. If it is Yahweh, or is it Baal? Which is it? Is it, is it God Almighty, or is it Baal, the, the God of fertility, the God of the storm, the God of the land, and, 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 all, and all of this? Is, who, who is God? In fact, Elijah said, you know, why do you stand with two different opinions? If God is God, then worship him. If Baal is God, then worship him. And here's how we're going to put out the, the fleece or the litmus test of who is, who is really God. And they build an altar. And, and, and the, the prophets of Baal, they put their sacrifice on the altar and, 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 and they don't have anything lighting it because the, the thing is, he who is God, he will consume the altar. He will consume the sacrifice on the altar. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And everybody worship him. And they all said, yes, that sounds like a great plan. And so the prophets of Baal are up there and they're, they're doing all their enchantments and they're, they're cutting themselves and trying to prove their devotion to their God, but their God doesn't answer. Elijah mocks them and finally they're just gushing of blood trying to get their God to do something. Isn't that a horrible commentary on on a society when you've got to do something for your God? You've got to prop your God up. My God fell! And you've got to pick him up in his, his little image and you've got to put his little bust, his little marble bust on a, on a platform and make sure he's okay. But our God is in the heavens. Our God, can, the, the, the heaven of heavens can't contain him. He's much greater and more awesome and more loving and more 
incredible than we could ever think. The heavens can't contain him. He holds the span, the universe in the span of his hand. And yet we can't even see outside of the Milky Way galaxy. We can't even see very far in our own solar system. We know so little and God's going, oh, I got thousands of those, probably millions. And you'll never see them. With all of your technology, you'll never see them. I know they're there and they're beautiful, by the way, but you'll never see them in your natural eyes. And so the God that answers fire. So Elijah builds his altar. And he even goes overboard and he throws water on it. He pours water. Pour water again. Pour water a third time. All around the moat of the thing. Just saturate the whole thing. There's no possible way this thing is going up in flames unless God acts. And God does act. And he consumed the sacrifice on the altar. He licked up all the water. I love that term. He just... And there was nothing left but dirt, dry dirt. God consumed it all. So Yahweh wins. He, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but let me just share a little idea with you. He always wins. God always wins, and he will win. He always wins. He will never lose. He can't lose. He cannot lose. And what a great winning team to be on. Even though things seem dark now, trust me, all of our tears are going to go right away when, he, when we see him face to face. We're going to realize, Lord, if I knew you were this awesome, I would have done anything and everything on this earth. And if that be the case, if that is the truth, then what's stopping you now? Really, what's stopping you now? And so Elijah And the children of Israel, they take all these 450 prophets of Baal down the hill there to the river Kishon, and he he kills them, kills them all. And God wanted him to do that. Yes, to murder those prophets, because they were leading people away from God. And so in in chapter 19, if you remember, uh, Jezebel, who those were her prophets, those were her prophets, these 450 prophets. And so when Jezebel, who was really wearing the Levi's in the family, she wore the pants in the family, when she hears about what Elijah did, she basically tells him, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, when he perceived that, he ran for the hills, he ran all the way from Jezreel up in the north, all the way down to the very last town of Israel in the southern part of Judah to Beersheba. And then he doesn't even stop there. He goes from there. It it took him 70, it was like 70 miles to get down there. And then he takes another two or 300 miles down further to the Mount Sinai, to the Sinai Peninsula, to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And he's there and God reveals himself to him in such a wonderful way. And remember the encounter, you know, there was fire and an earthquake and and great hail and all these other huge things. And and God wasn't in any of those things. But it was after that. In a still small voice, God revealed himself. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? (laughs) What are you doing here? Are you afraid of a woman? Are you afraid of Jezebel? And he was honest. Yes, I am afraid. And all all the people have forsaken you. They've sacrificed to other gods. And I'm alone. I'm alone. And they're even seeking my life. And finally God says, 
don't worry, Elijah, I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal, who have not kissed him in worship. You're not alone. And then he leaves there, and God gives him a commission, and we find that commission in verse, uh, our chapter, excuse me, verse 15. God tells him to return the way of the wilderness and to anoint Hazael, Hazael as king over Syria. That's the first thing he was supposed to do. And the second thing he was to do is to anoint Yehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And finally, he was to anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, and anoint him as prophet in his place. And Elijah does. The first thing he does is he goes, he goes south now or north, excuse me, from where he was. He finds Elisha. He, he hands over his, his girdle, his mantle. He places it over him. And certainly Elisha knew what that was all about. He knew what that meant. He said farewell to his family and he followed Elijah. And so finally, we get to chapter 20. Now chapter 20 is going to be like a little, what I would like to call a parenthetical chapter because um, we, we, we kind of take a pause in our understanding of in, in the narrative of Elisha or Elijah. But notice what it says in verse 1 of chapter 20. It says, Now Ben-Hadad, literally his name means son of Hadad, and Hadad is the name of Syria's national god. It's a deity, it's a, it's a false idol, it's, it's a demon. That's what God calls the, the nations uh, that, that serve these idols. He, he calls them demons because that's really what they are. They're demonic entities. And so here's this man from, uh, from Syria. This is called Ben-Hadad, probably the second, because we know that his father preceded him. He's known as Ben-Hadad, number one. And this guy, he's number two. He's the son. Notice, the king of Syria. Notice, he gathered all of his forces together, 32 kings with him, with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. And remember that Samaria was the capital of the northern ten tribes. Jerusalem, the capital of the southern two tribes, but Samaria being the capital of the northern ten tribes. It used to be Tirzah. Tirzah used to be the capital when Jeroboam became king after the kingdom had split. And it was that way for a season until Omri, who was um, another king in the north, he took over. And he bought a hill from a man by the name of Shemer. And Omri called this new place, this new city on a hill, he called it Samaria, named after the man he bought it from, whose name was Shemer. And that now became the capital of the northern ten tribes, Samaria. And so these 32 kings, they were smaller towns uh, that were under the uh, umbrella, if you will, of Syria. And so they all come now against uh, Ahab. And it says in verse 2, Then he sent messengers into the city of Ahab, king of Syria, which is um, the city, of course, would be um, uh, Samaria. And said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad. And this is what Ben-Hadad says to Ahab. Your silver and your gold are mine. And your loveliest wives and children are mine. What arrogance. What self-confidence. 
Your wives, your gold, everything that you have is mine. And, and we shall see, but God in his, um, in his mercy and grace is not going to allow it. We're going we're gonna to see that. But um, notice Ben-Hadad when he said, Your silver and your gold are mine. Uh, but God will say to the nations later on in history, later on in Haggai the prophet, he's going to be speaking Haggai to a time that's yet future to even us uh, in the millennial temple. And let me read it to you. It's Haggai chapter 2. And, and this is kind of interesting. And I, and I share this with you because Ben-Hadad says, the silver and the gold and your gold are mine. And this sparks something in my memory Concerning what God is going to say in the end days, and the end times. And Haggai tells us what it's about. And it's relating to the millennial reign of Christ. Notice what it says in verse 6 of Haggai 2. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. Who is that title, the desire of all nations? Take a wild guess. Jesus. Yes, the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord. And what temple is he referring to? The millennial temple. Because this is Haggai was a post-exilic prophet. So he's talking about a temple that is yet future. Notice, he even says, it shall be in a little while. In other words, it's going to be a ways away from our perspective. But notice what he says. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Now let me ask you, what temple is going to be on the temple mount when Christ comes in his millennial, when he begins his millennial reign? We know that the Antichrist, right, is going to build a temple. And, and right now, we know that there are uh, other scriptures tell us that more than likely they're going to build this temple of the Antichrist. It's not going to be called the temple of the Antichrist, but that's really what it's going to be. But the Jews are going to think that this is our temple, and they're going to be really excited about it. They're excited about building it right now, but it's for the wrong guy. But this temple is going to be built more than likely, based on other scriptures, right next to the Dome of the Rock. And what is the Dome of the Rock covered with? Gold. And a little bit further south, there's another. It's called the Al-Aqsa Mosque, right? The Dome of the Rock. And a little further south of them is the Mosque of Omar. And what does it have? A silver dome. And this is just a thought, conjecture, of course. But isn't it interesting? The Lord says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. (laughs) When he makes, when he comes back in his second coming, he's going to obliterate all of that. Because when he sits down on the Mount of Olives, the 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 earth is going to shake, and that there's going to be a great earthquake, and it's going to be such a seismic event. There's nothing that's going to be level, available on the Temple Mount. I, I'm positive of it. To have the Mount of Olives right to the east of Jerusalem to split in two from north to south and east to west, whatever's on that Temple Mount is dust. And I love when God says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. That's God's answer to the Gentiles, to the nations. The silver and the gold are mine. And now you have this Gentile man coming to the Jews, Ben-Hadad, saying to Ahab, the silver and the gold are mine. And I almost wonder if the Lord's going, wait till I tell a prophet later on what I'm going to say. 
The silver indeed is mine and the gold is going to be mine. And notice in verse 4 in our text, so the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, notice how he's already in this place of defeat. Just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. And, and when he says lord here, he means Adon, like when we say Adonai. That's really how he's approaching Ben-Hadad. He's saying Adonai or Adon, you, you are the, the lord and, and you, are, you are the king. He goes on, Lord, O king, the word is Melech, where we get Amalek, or Melech is, is the king. And so he's, he's, he's a weakened man now, Ahab, and now he knows that he's outnumbered. This is probably his end, at least he's thinking that, because he's got this huge force from the north of Israel, the, the land of the Arameans. They're coming down from Syria, and they're coming down, and he's thinking, I've got no hope. And so he's already giving in. And so, he says, all that I have, I and all that I have are yours. And, um, and he just caves in. He's got, he feels like he's got no other recourse. And he probably feels that way because he knows in his heart that he's a wicked man. He's already been confronted by Elijah. He's already seen God do the miraculous with the prophets of Baal. He's seen the words of the prophet come to pass. And he knows that God is real. And yet his wife is still ruling him. Yet his wife is still uh, continuing to foster this idolatrous practices. And Ahab is more than willing to go along with it. And so there's a, there's a, there's a certain fearful looking for of judgment. Do you know, remember that in, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament where it says, you know, there's a certain fearful looking forward to of judgment. It's like you, you're so evil, you know that your day is coming. In the back of your mind, there's that little thing that eats away at your mind going, you know, one day I'm going to really get it. But it doesn't stop you. You just continue in your, in your harlotry. That's Ahab. Then the messengers, verse 5, came to him, came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the house of your servants, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes. Yes, the Monet paintings. Yes, the Picasso paintings. Starry, starry night. Sorry, but it's got to go. I want it in my kingdom now. you got to give up the Mona Lisa. you got to give up all this stuff, and it's coming to me. And oh, by the way, your beautiful wives... And your kids, they are all coming with me. Notice, <laughs> and he says, And whatever is pleasant in my servants' eyes, they will put in their hands, and they will take it. And so the king, verse 7, of Israel, called all the elders of the land and said, Notice, please, and see how this man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives, my children, my silver, my gold, and I did not deny him. I was willing to give him that. And all the elders of the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. Now, one thing you have to remember is that Israel right now, even in the northern kingdom, they're having a little bit, they're probably having a little bit of a revival. After the prophets of Baal have been executed, they, they all agree, he, God, Yahweh, is God, and so there's this stirring in them, and so they've got some chutzpah to say, you know what, tell that guy to go away. They got just enough zeal to tell him, you know what, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him, don't consent. And therefore, he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, verse 9, Tell my lord the king, all that you sent for your servant the first time I will do, but this thing I cannot do. 
And the messengers departed and brought back word to him. And then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me and more also. Underline this phrase because it happens twice in the book of Kings. First and second Kings, it happens twice. And it, um, God that made the, the gods do so to me and more also if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful for each of the people who follow me. In other words, I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to level your city. The first time we hear of this um, is uh, we see this f- familiar phrase in First Kings, "May the gods do to me and more also." We see it in, in verse, or excuse me, chapter nineteen. Remember verse two. You can put that off in the margin of your Bible because that's the first time um, you see it, and then here you see it in First Kings twenty, verse ten, and. Jezebel said that very same thing, if you remember, when she gave this message to Elijah. After Jezebel found out about the killing of the prophets of Baal, what did she say? So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And you know what? God is going to make sure that her oath is brought to pass. Because you might want to write, actually, write the reference down and then I'm just going to read it to you for the sake of time, okay? It's 2 Kings chapter 9, beginning in verse 30 down through 37. Because we find uh, there's, a, there's some time that transpires between where we're at right now in chapter 20 until we get to 2 Kings, I'm sorry, from your perspective, from where we're at now in 1 Kings 20 to 2 Kings chapter 9. Uh, verse 30 through 37, because we'll see that God is going to see to it that her oath that she made to her gods, so the God, let the gods do to me and more also if, I don't, you know, if you're not dead by tomorrow about this time. And God's going to make sure that this evil woman is executed. Yes, and let me read it to you. In verse 30 of 2 Kings chapter 9, and we see the end of this all. And we'll get to this in, in due time. But it says, now... When Yehu had come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and, and by this time her husband had already died. Ahab has already passed from the scene. We're going to be reading about that in the next week or so. But now some time, a little bit of time goes by, and she still hasn't changed. Jezebel heard of it, that Yehu was coming to Jezreel, and she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through a window. And then as Yehu entered at the gate, she said, Is, is it peace, Zimri? Murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And so two or three eunuchs looked out at him, and then he said, Throw her down. And they threw her down. And some of her blood spattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And he had, and when he had gone in, he ate and drank, and then he said, Go now, see to this accursed woman, and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. And so they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. And therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which was spoken by his servant Elisha the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as the refuse on the surface of the field in the plot of, at Jezreel. So that they shall say... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of First Kings.
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.